0: This morning I want to complete my last sermon. I'm going to end it today, the Christmas at the Movies, and I'll preach another sermon next week focusing on uh, Luke chapter 2. But uh, today I want to look at my last sermon at the Christmas at the Movies. We started with uh, The Grinch That Stole Christmas. We looked at Home Alone, and today we're going to look at It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. If someone would ask you if you have a wonderful life, what would your response be? Oh, good. Amen. If you have a wonderful, John, you have a wonderful life? Amen. If somebody would ask you if you have a wonderful life, what would your response be? In fact, how would you even define a wonderful life? I mean, perhaps many of you would say a wonderful life would be a life of financial prosperity and a successful career. Some of you would say, well, Maybe it's a life filled with adventure, visiting exotic places. Maybe that's a wonderful life to you. Or maybe you would say, listen, all I care about is being healthy, having good family and friends, and uh, having all my needs met. That's a wonderful life. Or maybe some of you would just say, listen, if I was just debt free, that would be wonderful. Amen? But we all have different definitions of what a wonderful life would be. But I am convinced, my friends, that every one of you want a wonderful life. All of you want a wonderful life. There is not one person in this building that don't want a wonderful life. You want a wonderful life. You, you don't want to be a loser. It's not in you to be a loser. It's not in you to be a failure. You don't want to be labeled as a loser. You don't want to be labeled as a failure You don't even want to be looked at as a loser or failure. Nobody has that desire. You want to achieve what we call a wonderful life. Now, you remember that old American classic Christmas movie that was, I think, made in 1946, way before my time. And uh, some of you have watched the movie. It's an American classical movie during the Christmas season especially. And it's really considered one of the greatest films of all times, one of the greatest films of all times. And if you remember watching the movie, it has some great storylines to it. And I've watched it before. I haven't watched it many times, but I've watched it a couple times. And there are some powerful messages that you can gather in this movie. I mean, wonderful messages. Uh, and I think there was even a book written about all the messages and the spiritual principles that you can learn from the movie. And certainly, I don't have time to explore all of them. But I just want to look at a few things this morning that I think is applicable to your life when you look at this movie because it's a classical Christmas movie. We've all heard about it. And if you haven't heard about it, you've seen it or you've heard about it. And for those of you that have not seen the movie, then I just want to just kind of recap what the movie's about. The movie is about a main character by the name of George Bailey, if you remember the man. Uh, He's the main character of the movie, and this man is very, very ambitious, very ambitious. He has lots of dreams. As a matter of fact, in one uh, part of the movie, he expresses that he wants to travel the world. He wants to see the world. He wants to leave his small town of Bedford Falls, New York. He wants to leave, and he wants to explore the world. Life doesn't always turn out the way it should turn out, does it? It really doesn't. And George Bailey really discovered that it really didn't turn out the way he thought it should have. Because George Bailey had a lot of stress in his life. And one of those stresses that he was experiencing in the movie is financial ex- uh, stress. George Bailey took over his father's business. He was, uh, had a, his father's business and he learned that his uncle had lost the money, the money that was supposed to take the business into the next year. They had lost it. His uncle had lost the money. And because his uncle had lost the money, George Bailey was facing bankruptcy. Uh, he was being accused of stealing the money. He, was, uh, he might go to prison for stealing the money. I mean, this man is really in financial shambles. He's in stress. He's in heartache. He's disheartened about the family business. He's disheartened about all the financial struggles that he's facing. And so life doesn't turn out the way that George Bailey thought it should have. George Bailey was very adventurous, very ambitious, and now he's stuck in his hometown of Bedford Falls, New York, with financial stress. Life is giving him lemons. And because of his financial stress, you've you've seen the movie, uh, hopefully, George Bailey gets fed up with it, and he goes outside to a a bridge, and he's going to commit suicide. He's going to jump off the bridge, end his life. He had just come from the life insurance agent and he was trying to borrow money on his life insurance and Mr. Potter Potter said to him, George, you're worth dead, you're worth more dead than you are alive. And that really affected George's self-esteem and really, George was already struggling and so George says, forget it, I'm just going to go in my life. He goes and finds a bridge and he's just going to jump off the bridge and say, forget it, I'm not going to worry about this anymore, at least if I die there's life insurance that will take care of my family and get the business out of this mess that it's in. And so George Bailey's getting ready to commit suicide, and God intervenes. God sends an angel. An angel comes and has a conversation with George. The angel comes to let George know that your life is worth living. And as George and the angel is talking, George says to the angel, listen, I just wish I had never been born. And so you know what the angel did? the angel took George back in time and showed George what life would have been without him. Because George was a very generous man. George was very sacrificial. George always lived for the betterment of somebody else. And so the angel took him back in time and showed him what a difference he really does make. That if George had not been born, there would have been people that would have never been blessed. The town drunk would have never had a friend. His wife would have been desolate and and forsaken. And, And the angel took him back in his life and revealed to him all the things that would have happened if George would have never been born. So George came to his senses and realized, listen, i got more to be thankful for. My sacrifice really does make a difference. What I do in the world really does make a difference. And at the end of the movie, George says, it's a wonderful life. It's wonderful, he said, just to have one friend. My life is wonderful. My life is blessed. He had more to be thankful for than he not to be thankful for. Now, I gave you a little recap of the story because I believe, I really believe, there is a George Bailey in all of us this morning. There's a George Bailey in all of us. Now, why? Why did I say that? I said that to say this because in each of us, we desire a wonderful life. We desire a better life. We desire to be the best that we can be. But sometimes, just like George, we experience broken dreams. We experience flawed expectations. We experience things that we did not anticipate. In other words, life don't turn out the way that we thought it should have turned out. And I want to ask you a sincere question this morning from my heart. Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever felt like George Bailey? Have you ever felt like that life did not turn out the way that you had anticipated? Have you ever felt disillusioned and disheartened and disenchanted or disappointed by life? Have you ever felt let down? Have you ever felt frustrated and exhausted over life? Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever felt like life had given you lemons And they tell you, make lemonade when life gives you lemons. But you know and I know it takes more than lemons to make lemonade. They tell you in life that if life kicks you and pushes you down and knocks you down, you're supposed to get up and try again. But you know and I know, how many times are we supposed to get up? And They tell us in life that They tell us in life that if you're going to throw in the towel, don't throw in the towel. They tell you that if you throw in the towel, take the towel and wipe your face with it and keep on going. But I've learned in life that when life is disappointing, I don't even have the energy to throw the towel. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been there before where you felt so disappointed in life that you didn't even have the energy to go on anymore? I'm reminded of somebody in the Bible that was experiencing the same thing. David. David was, uh, was, was the king of Israel. But before he was king, you know, he faced many obstacles. David's best friend was Jonathan, but yet Jonathan's father, uh, Saul, was after to kill him and destroy him. And David had mental anguish over it. And he wrote one of the songs and said this, He is the glory and the lifter of my head. You see, when life is disappointing, sometimes you can't lift up your own head. Sometimes you don't even know where to look. You don't know how to make lemonade. You don't have the energy to throw in the towel. You don't know how many times you're supposed to give up. You are disillusioned because of the failures of life. There is a George Bailey in all of us. Now, as Christians, it's easy for me to get up here and to tell you this. That you should set your hope on heaven. I can get up here and tell you that heaven's wonderful. And heaven's going to be a glorious place. And, and so no matter what you go through, you just need to realize that there's a better day coming. And you know what? That sounds really good in theory. But in practice it doesn't. Because we're not in heaven right now. You've got bills to pay. You've got children to raise. Christmas is coming. And you're stressed out over that. You can't, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're under... You know, you're facing situations at work. You name it. That's where we live. We live in the here and now. Over there is good, but we're not there yet. I mean, the Apostle Paul reminded the believers. He said in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he said, uh, he said Yet we, the suffering now is not compared to the glory that will be revealed to us later. So there is going to be glory that will be revealed later, but what about now? How many would raise your hand and say with the pastor this morning, I struggle in the here and now. I don't struggle because of my future. I know I'm going to go to heaven. I know things will be better there, but I'm struggling now. There is a George Bailey inside of me. And let's just, let's just break it down, church. All of us has been like George Bailey. We've all felt like going to a bridge sometimes and saying, is life ever worth it? Is life worth it anymore? Does anybody love me? Do I really make a difference? Does my sacrifice make a difference? And I know as a pastor, I, you know, I, I, I face situations in my life where I question, do, does it even make a difference? Does my sermons make a difference? Is praying for people make a difference? Does going to the hospitals day in and day out, day in, 365 days a year, does it make any difference? Because sometimes it's very discouraging. You see people not faithful. You see people not growing. You see people not pursuing Jesus. And you think that it's, it's just not worth it. But I'm reminded that I am commissioned and called by the master. And I work for the master. And he is the one that pays me. He's the one that rewards me. Amen. Having the proper perspective is everything. Because your perspective is either your passport or your prison in life. Your perspective is everything. And let me just remind you, there are a few things that does not make a wonderful life. Now, I think I need to tell you this before I tell you what constitutes a wonderful life. Let me make sure you understand what does not make a wonderful life. And if you think that, number one, pleasure makes a wonderful life, then, ladies and gentlemen, you are sadly mistaken. Pleasure is wonderful. Pleasure is is wonderful in certain contexts. But you understand that pleasure does not bring lasting fulfillment. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse number 8. Ecclesiastes number 1 and verse number 8. Listen to the words of of the preacher here in the Bible. The eye is never satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. In other words, pleasure is never going to satisfy you no matter how long you want it sex will never satisfy you food will never satisfy you relationships will never satisfy you husbands won't satisfy you wives won't satisfy you your children won't satisfy you your pet your pets won't satisfy you your job is not going to satisfy you i'm sorry it's just not going to satisfy you because there is a hole on the inside of you when god made you god intentionally put a hole on the inside of you. And that hole on the inside of you cannot be filled with anybody on earth or any material possessions or any pleasure. There is a hole created in your heart That God put there because God is saying, the hole that I put in your heart can only be filled by me and me alone. And that is why people, sometimes people will waste their whole life running after things, trying to fill the hole in their life. And they come to the end of their life and they realize nothing ever satisfied them because they missed the point. You were created for God. And unless you understand that, you're going to live a miserable life. You were created for God and God's purposes. You were created for His. And unless, unless you're doing His purpose, unless you're worshiping Him and doing what He wants you to do, you will never be fulfilled. Never. Pleasure will never fulfill you. There is a hole on the inside of you. And only God can fill the hole. Performance will never satisfy you. Work will never satisfy you. People will be workaholics and work and work and work. And let me tell you something. If work is acceptable to God, but work should never replace worship. God worked for six days and He worshipped. He worked and He worshipped. That is what we call the liturgical cycle of the human race. Work, worship, worship. Work, worship. That is God's divine plan. And so God has designed you to worship with the community. And work will never satisfy you. But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4 and verse number 8, man is always working and never satisfied. I agree with him. Man's always working, but they're never satisfied because it will never satisfy you. It, it can bring contentment. It can bring some sense of fulfillment, but it will never satisfy satisfy you. Possessions will never satisfy you. Having more stuff will never satisfy you. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10 the one who loves money is never satisfied with money and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. So no matter how hard you work and no matter how much money you have, you will never be satisfied. Money is a tool and whatever type of person you are money is going to reveal it. If you are a greedy person, money in the hands of a greedy person will reveal the heart of the person. If you're a generous person, then money reveals the heart. If you're a stingy person, money is neutral. It is neither good or bad. Money is an indicator of where your heart is. The Bible says in Luke chapter 12 verse 15, One's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Your life does not consist of your car, or your house, or the things that you have. Life is more than that. Life is more than that. And I believe that every one of you, under the sound of my voice, you want a happy life. But let me just propose something greater to you. There is something more than just having a happy life. What about having a meaningful life? What about having a richer life? What about having a deeper life? What about having a life that has significance? There is people that's happy in their sin, but they're not fulfilled. They're not content. They're not satisfied. People say, I just want to be happy in life. As a Christian, you are called to more than just happiness. You know what happiness is? Happiness comes from the word which means happenings, which means your Your expression is based upon what happens around you. And God has called you to be bigger than that. God has called you to demonstrate joy even when your happenings are not so wonderful. See, you're supposed to live above that. You're called to live a higher life. You're called to live a richer life. Deeper and more significant life, a more meaningful life, and not just a happy life. I want more than just a happy life. I want a meaningful life. I want a life that's significant. I want a life that makes a difference. I want a life that's rich. I want a life that has substance. Jesus said it like this in John 10.10. He says, there is a thief. And we know who he is. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Life more abundantly. In other words, I want you to upgrade your life. I want you to upgrade it. I want you to upgrade your life. There's there's two different words for life in the Greek, bios and zoe. One's just living life, existing, and one is a super life, abundant life. In other words, a meaningful life, a wonderful life, listen to me, church, is more than just living. It's more than just paying your bills. It's more than just going to the grocery store. In other words, Jesus said, you got to do those things. Of course, you got to go to the grocery store. you got to do this. you gotta do, You got to work. you got to do all those things. But there is something deeper to life than that. Life is so much more than that. It's so much more significant than that. And it first has to be internal. Your job may never change. Your home life may never change. But this abundant life, this meaningful life, happens on the inside of you. And that is why the Apostle Paul could write the book of Philippians from a jail cell. Because the Apostle Paul, his circumstances didn't change. His happiness, which is directed to his happenings, he was in prison. But the Apostle Paul found a meaningful life. He found a deeper life. He found a life full of significance. He found a life full of substance. And even though he was locked up in the prison, he still had a meaningful life because his environment did not dictate what God did on the inside of him. Oh, hallelujah. When you get a hold of what God wants to do on the inside... And you can write from a jail cell. Lay your head on a rock and know your life is significant even though you've got to eat on the floor. I've come to give you life. Life more. I've come to give you a wonderful life. I've come to give you a Zoe type of life. I've come to upgrade your life. It's kind of like, you know, turning your car in and going to the rental shop and upgrading to a luxury car. Ain't nothing wrong with a Ford. But if you want to upgrade to a Toyota, a Camry, or a Lincoln Town car, both of them, both of them are going to get you to your destination. But sometimes the other car might have a little bit more comfort along the way. You're going to make it to heaven. You love Jesus. You're going to ride your car. But Jesus is saying, I want to give you an upgrade. I want to upgrade your life. And I've thought about this. What does it mean to have an upgraded life? I mean, what does it mean to have a wonderful life? At this Christmas season we become so stressed out trying to please everybody and make everything wonderful. But at this Christmas season, we've got to ask ourselves, what does God say about a wonderful life? And I've searched the Bible. I have read the Bible, and you've read the Bible. We've studied the Bible together on Sundays. You read it during your devotional time. And I feel like there's this one scripture that Jesus said is very important. You remember what it said? In Matthew, Mark, excuse me, Mark chapter 12 and verse number 30. Mark chapter 12 verse 30 and I quote. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second one is like this. To love your neighbor as yourself, there is no greater commandment than this. Did you hear the words of Jesus? Jesus himself, our Savior, said, there is nothing greater than this. Nothing is greater than this. And ladies and gentlemen, my friends, my brothers and sisters, my peeps, Jesus is saying there is nothing greater than this. You are to love God and to love people. And if you can do that sincerely and genuinely, I promise you, you will have a wonderful life you will have a wonderful life. Why why don't we just throw the slogans away for 2020? You know, every year we want to have a new slogan. You know, I remember I was 16, 17, you know, 1997. The slogan was, going to heaven in 97, you know, open door in 98, you know, and and then 2000, they told you to get your beanie weenies and lock them up in the closet because the end of the world was coming. And turn off your computer! And all those prosperity preachers made bigger money. Jesus hasn't come back yet. You can eat your beanie weenies, take them out of the closet. You don't need to store up food because I'm not planning on being here. I'm going to the marriage supper of the Lamb while you eat your beanie weenies. All right? So you don't need to be calling and and Jim Baker and ordering all the end time prophecy stuff because there's going to be an apocalypse and you're not going to have food and the Antichrist is going to cut your head off. I'm not going to be here! And all that money you're sending to prosperity preacher, will you please help Christ point out? Jim Baker don't see you in the hospital. Rod Parsley don't go to the hospital. Billy, Billy Graham and all, they're all great people. He's not hearing, but Benny Hinn, I meant to say, they don't come and see you at the hospital. I do. So that was free. And you know I love you so much, right? But how me knows this the truth? So love God and love people. But what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love God? You know what it means to love God? Love God means that we love God with an undivided love. That It means that our love is not divided. That's what it means to love God. That means that Jesus said you should love the Lord your God with all your mind and heart and your strength. In other words, in our language, we would say love God with all your passions, affections, thoughts, and behaviors. In other words, is your passions, affections, your thoughts, your behavior, your will, your moods, your attitudes... Is your thoughts, motives, and meditations, the words of your mouth, your behavior, actions, deeds, moods, attitudes, and relationships with people, is it expressing the love of God? Are you intentionally loving God this way? Oh, you come to love God with your behavior this morning. You're here. But are you really loving God with your thoughts as we were praying this morning, where were your thoughts? Were you thinking the music's too loud? Or wish he would just have us sit down? Where are your thoughts? Where's your affections? Where's your passions? Loving God means I love him perfectly. I'm not divided. My heart is not over there while my behavior is here. I love him with all my mind and my thoughts. That means I love Him with my thoughts. I want to engage the Bible. And when I engage the Word of God, I want to develop a Christian worldview where I make decisions based upon a biblical worldview. My mind's engaged in the Bible. My affections, what I feel, how I respond, my behavior, it all reflects God. To love God means that you keep Him first. You put him first in your finances. You put him first in your marriage. You put him first in every relationship. You put him first. He is number one. To love God means you desire God. You obey God. That's what it means to love God. Love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God. The Greek word agape. And you know what the word agape means? A willful love. So love is not a decision. I mean, love is not a feeling. People say, well, I just fell out of love. That may be true. Because love is not a feeling. You've got to choose to love people. You've got to choose to love God. You've got to choose to obey God. You've got to choose to desire God. And if you're not intentional about it, then you'll be unintentionally about it. The innkeeper at the Christmas story turned away Jesus. He didn't put Jesus first, did he? He turned him away and said, we have no room for you. And that's what many people do today. They have no room for Jesus. And you know what? That innkeeper failed to realize that he made the biggest mistake of his life. Because if he would have made room for that little baby and put him first, he would have made room for the ever present one whose name shall never be forgotten. But he missed it. And there are many people today that's missed it because they're trying to fill the void with other things. You can't make it without Jesus. You can't replace Jesus. Saying there's no room for Jesus and not putting Jesus number one and not putting God first is like an engine saying it has no room for steam. It's like a tree saying it has no room for sap. It's like the ocean saying it has no room for the tide. It's like the heavens saying it has no room for the stars. It's like the garden saying it has no room for flowers. You were created to love God. You were created to know God. To love God means He comes first in everything. Number two, what does it mean to love people in closing? I only have one closing today because it's my Christmas gift to this church. What does it mean to love people? Jesus said you are to love God. You are love your neighbor as yourself. To love people means that you put their best interest in mind. You know, Paul said in the book of Corinthians, hospitality and brotherly affection be so named among you that it makes the Gentiles jealous. Are we loving to the point that it makes people ask the question, why? Have you ever loved someone to the point where they ask, why? If you haven't, you haven't loved hard enough. You haven't loved deep enough. If your love don't make a memory, you haven't loved. Jesus said, I need you to love people. See, in this age, it's about self-esteem. But in God's kingdom, it is about other esteem. Jesus said, or the the apostle said in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, And the Lord would make you to increase and abound in love towards one another, to all men, even as we do. He says, I'm praying that you love people more. I pray that you love people more. Jesus said in 1 John 4 and 12, and I quote, If a man says, I love God, and hated his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can you love God whom you've never seen? And this is the commandment we have from them, that we ought to love God and love his brother also. You see, the real proof of our love is the willingness to make sacrifices for the sake of its object. I'm going to say that one more time. The real proof of love, the real proof of love is its willingness to make sacrifices for the sake of the object. Loving God requires that your love is not misplaced, but that your love is undivided. Loving people means I put their interests first. And I love them to the point that it makes a memory. Jesus said, if you love like the world, then you are loving like the pagans. They just love you back when you love them. He says, but be different. Love people even when they're unlovable. Take it up another notch. If they ask you to go one mile, you go to them a second mile. He's calling you to be a two-mile Christian in a one-mile world. Go another mile in your love for God. Go another mile in your love for your neighbor. Mother Teresa said it like this. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered, but forgive them anyway. If you're kind and people accuse you of being selfish and having alternative motives be kind anyway. If you're successful and you win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies, succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere with people and they deceive you anyway, just be honest and love anyway. What you spend years creating, others may destroy overnight, but create anyway. If you find sincerity and happiness, some may even be jealous, but be happy anyway. The good that you do today will often be forgot tomorrow, but be good anyway. Give the best that you have, and it may never be returned to you, but give anyway. And in the final analysis of life, you've got to be remembered that what you did was never between you and them, it was always between you and me. Love God, love people.